So I've been trying to decide what I'm going to talk about tonight all day long. I have no clue. (laughs) I'm going to uh, give a series, this being the beginning of the year, on the core teachings that the Buddha offered, which are the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. Over the next several weeks and months, kind of combing through those that framework and offering some of those teachings and my personal experience with them, and then having some dialogue and discussion around those things. And so, kind of what I wanted to talk about, I feel like I've been messing my head up a little bit. I've been reading a lot of philosophy lately, which just kind of confuses me more than anything else, but it's fun. Uh, But one of the things that I feel like is worthwhile of talking about and is maybe a good starting point is the topic of awakening. In the traditional, perhaps mythological, we don't really know, and I don't feel personally that it matters too much for me, uh, story of the Buddha... The Buddha made a... Uh, was born into a life of privilege, a life of a lot of luxury and shelter. Um, He was born to uh, a father that owned a lot of property. And so basically, you know, in some sense, he had everything that he needed and everything that he really wanted and then some. He found a lot of pleasure early on in his life, kind of indulging in the foods and the uh, sensual desire, the women that were around, and the uh, kind of plethora of options that he had. Uh, But ultimately found, pretty quickly actually, at a young age, found that this was uh, pretty unsatisfying. And he had almost this wholesome desire to seek to find something maybe more than just that. You know, and so that was there, but really what encouraged the Buddha to leave his life and really dedicate his whole life to this you know, this this path of awakening um, was his realization, his intimacy with the reality of the nature of existence, of birth, aging, sickness, and death. And so out of seeing and and coming into contact and realizing the urgency and the shortness and the uncertainty of our death and the little amount of time that he had, Uh, he kind of became a little bit dispassionate is the word for the life as he was currently living it and made a decision that he wanted something more, he wanted something else and maybe through his direct experience and through some type of practice it could be found. So he set off and he took on a form of practice and this is an important thing in in Dharma and in Uh, this teaching and and this practice that we all are here to do together, there's kind of a dialectic or a, uh, 
these kind of two opposing things that we're holding around developing a form for our practice and uh, then also the experience of the practice itself. And so he went to the spiritual teachers of his time to say, you know, what practices are available and what things can I do that will alleviate some of my suffering? Right? And that will help me realize some more ease or more meaning or more purpose or more fulfillment other than this just craving after pleasure and going from the next bit of praise, the next bit of uh, excitement to the next. What, what things can I do? So what form can I take? And he learned a bunch of concentration meditation practices And he found that they helped to calm his mind. This, this practice of meditation was very useful. Um, he was able to do this very basic practice that we even did a little bit tonight of finding the breath and staying with the breath, collecting his attention. This is called samadhi or this collectedness of awareness into the breath and was able to really absorb his attention into the breath and and uh, a lot of the suffering would go away because his attention was so focused in an area right but then he would stop meditating and the the world would just come back right and so he would then have to put up with the same stress of being alive and of having a body and these questions really went unanswered And so he said, well, maybe the problem then is, is pleasure itself. And uh, because I was born into a very pleasure-enmeshed and almost addictive lifestyle, maybe the problem is the pleasure. And so what uh, he did is he left these gurus and their spiritual practices, and he did went and practiced austerities in the aesthetic tradition of uh, mutilating the body and harming the body and denying the body any pleasure. Like pleasure anorexia, just kind of completely trying to rid the body of anything, any craving or any wanting for anything by just trying to basically destroy that drive. And during this time, he had a recollection, he had a, a memory of a time as a child when he was sitting fully content with his breath, breathing in and breathing out, with a balanced relationship to pleasure and pain, and pretty much an establishment of just being present, engaged fully, and content at ease. And my feeling around this is that the Buddha really had this recollection during this really awful, challenging time of his life that there was a part of himself that hadn't given up, that had this quest of awakening really at the forefront. There was this willingness or this motivation and so he uh, found some food and he left the aesthetics and they kind of trash-talked him as he was leaving. They called him the food eater, right, because they would only eat like a grain of rice every week or so. (coughs) 
And this urgency came back. He said, let only my skin and bones remain, let my blood dry up, I will not give up until I have accomplished what can be done by human effort and endeavor. And so I think most important place to start in talking about awakening, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about what that could mean, but just this quest for some fulfillment for less suffering, for more ease, for more well-being in our lives. I really think that we, we really have to make a decision that we want that, that that's something that interests us. Spiritual practice or some type of uh, intention to uh, live ethically or live... Uh, with virtue or live with righteousness. I mean, you could go through all the religious traditions and pull whatever language you would like. But I think ultimately that um, if we're to find some well-being and some happiness and some ease in this life, that we have to really be willing and motivated and almost urgent to practice in a way that would promote that, interested in that idea. And I say that because not everyone is, you know. Not everyone really has that uh, intention or that interest at the forefront. Or this urgency. The Buddha talked about awakening. He talked. He taught a lot of his discourses actually using agrarian or kind of farm-based metaphors, being raised in the farming lifestyle and the agrarian lifestyle. He liked to use a lot of metaphors. And one of the metaphors for the Dharma that he taught, the practice that he taught, was that of uh, planting, sowing seeds, and growing crops. Awakening is a result of um, being willing, being willing to be honest about the suffering in our lives, the stress in our lives. You know, to see what's getting in the way of our well-being. And to plant the seeds of well-being and to water those and to take good care of those, to be very careful in tending to this field. And so this field that we're talking about is this field of uh, of kama, karma. A lot of these words and terms have been really watered down from our information-based society. You know, we kind of understand... Um, and have some preconceived ideas about what meditation is, but there are really many forms of meditation. We have this same understanding with karma or how that's understood. And really, basically, that uh, what the Buddha says, we're living in a field of potentiality. We're living in a field of potential action through thought, thinking, through speech, and through our direct action, that there's a potential 
to volition, volitionally or voluntarily think in ways and speak in ways and act in ways. And that we want to be really careful in our choice of the ways that we engage in thinking and speech and action. Because whatever ways we think, speak, and act, it creates the environment of our current field. Right? So not deterministically where I say something and then something happens two years later. Or, you know, I always give the example of I cut someone off in traffic, right? And then I go into work and lose my job. Like this unrelated, oh, that's your karma, right? Like this this destroyer god is just taking a... It's like Santa Claus. It's just like listing out all the things you've done naughty and you're going to get payback for it. Right? But instead, just that in whatever ways that I choose to plant those seeds of thought and speech and action, that by participating in them themselves, I'm watering those and they're going to take root. Or I can choose to not water some and they'll die at the root, right? So habits kind of get a bad rep sometimes in Buddhism, but really I believe that the understanding is, is that Uh, from a Buddhist perspective, that happiness is a collection of good habits and that awakening is a result of our practice. They called the Buddha a radical pragmatist and pragmatism concerns itself with what can be practiced, not theory, You know, not so much these questions that a lot of times we're concerned with of what happens after death and is there a God, is there no God, is there, uh, you know, the kind of theoretical or maybes, coulda, shoulda, woulda, or what will happen, uh, but more so what, what is, uh, what can be practiced in terms of generating more ease, more well-being for myself and others. So one of the main ways that we promote awakening is through the development of wisdom through mindfulness. Mindfulness is a very ordinary practice. There's nothing I feel magical or mysterious about it. I think, and the Buddha said himself, that every human has this capacity already in the, their mental faculty. You know, what we're doing is we're developing it intentionally. We're, we're, we're watering that. So this ability to objectively monitor the arising and passing of our thoughts and our emotions and the physical sensations and being present for our life circumstances as they change, right? And, and what type of thinking kind of, uh, you know, generates suffering in my life and what type of speech is generating suffering in my life and what type of actions generating stress or suffering in my life. Right, and being really honest about that and having that motivation and that inspiration and goal of awakening to hold us into that practice. Can I stay with it? Even though it's painful, you know, I, I, I would almost 
redefine awakening as a root awakening. You know, awakening is... uh, is, uh, It hurts. You know, and this is uh, where we sometimes forget that the Buddha's teaching was not meant to be cozy. You know, it was not meant to be anything other than the increasing of our honesty about the suffering in our lives. Why suffering? Why do we start there? Why, do, why, why such a big word? And I I actually think it's very empowering because what the Buddha was saying is that you're not trying to acquire happiness, that it's already available, but you just need to look and see what's getting in the way of it. what, What habits of mind are getting in the way of our well-being? How are our relationships and ways we interact with people getting in the way of more ease and more connection, less separation, more mutuality. We get constricted by our reactive patterns. These defenses that we all have that serve a purpose I believe that every emotional defense that I have, every mental belief or view or opinion that I have, no matter how harmful, it's trying to serve some purpose. When I compare myself to others or when I judge you or when I um, experience doubt or anger or rage, these are defenses that try to protect protect myself from being hurt or from being abandoned or betrayed. We talk a lot in in a lot of various spiritual arenas about acceptance and about letting go and surrender. It's something that I've struggled with my whole life, seeing how something's causing me some pain or wanting to let go. Wanting to let go. I want to let go of that. As a new year, and we practice a lot of times looking at our New Year's resolutions and things we want to let go of that aren't serving us. It's like I really want to stop doing that, but I, why can't I stop? And, 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 and this, uh, this awakening, Carl Jung says, we don't awaken by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. So we need to really start to see and to look into how something causes us suffering and to be interested and curious and be able to sustain our attention with that. Because through seeing that, what happens is the heart can start to feel the suffering. And once we know we're suffering... I believe that it's only natural we'll let it go. But do we stay with something long enough or do we distract? You know, we get caught up in the speed, the pressure, the time constraints of 
the this and that, the waking up, you know, living our lives in a in a matrix of time. Not to get all trippy and say don't have any time or any schedule, but realizing that there's a lot of uh, suffering even in that, the speed. Where are we? Are we here? Am I here and how is it here? Do we take time to awaken into the reality of what is what we're we're experiencing and to be really honest about that? Do we take that time? Do we give ourselves enough space? It's hard. We we're called against the stream because it's you know, it's not very much not the way things are framed to, for us to live. We're, we're born into a time and place where we're really kind of given a map <coughs> to the best of our ability, you know, usually from our parents. They kind of give us a little bit of a map and our teachers and, you know, the things that we learn. We get a little bit of a map and we make do with it the best that we can. <coughs> But sometimes we get so lost up in navigating it that we forget to look up from the fucking thing, right? Where am I? How is it? How's it going? Oh, I'm lost. I'm lonely. I feel like, you know, I haven't seen anyone on the path in a few weeks, right? And what's needed? So just waking up, uh, uh, the root word, the actually mindfulness is something that we believe the first translators of the Pali text into English uh, kind of borrowed this word more from a, a Christian context, mindfulness. But the ancient Pali Sanskrit word is something called sati. And sati, satipatthana is... Uh, the foundations of mindfulness, the... the mindfulness practice we're familiar with and what it means is it means to remember the ground so what we're waking up to really realistically is we're waking up to this that's it that's all we get is this what the Buddha was really trying to say in this almost urgent message of his is that the ground that we stand on is incredibly fragile So to remember that, to remember that, to recollect that. You know, when I wake up in the morning, is it into the list, the to-do list? Right, is it in, is, am I, you know, or is there enough time and space? Can I cultivate, can I plant those seeds of time and space? Can I give enough time and space to reconsider this this intention of awakening. And to say, you know, really, what is it that I'm doing here, actually? What is it that I would like to do? What changes need to be made? Am I willing to make those? And if not, can I get some support, you know? Can I be curious about making those? 
part of the challenge with our society and culture is that we've gotten really enmeshed and caught up in this dynamic of, of moralism. We've been really kind of crammed down. I, I don't even, you know, realize how much this colors a lot of my behavior around right and wrong, good and bad. So sometimes if I feel like there are changes that need to be made or that I would like to take up a meditation practice or I would like to be of more service or I would like to plant some of these seeds really what kind of stops me is the paralyzing shame that I'm not doing it now anyway right or the fear or the anxiety that there's not enough time and so there can almost be this secondary judgment that can come in and just freeze us up you know the the uh, when NASA shoots a spaceship to the moon, you know, it's off course like 98% of the time, right? They kind of map the coordinates, and it's just a series of kind of adjustments and adjustments and adjustments and adjustments. And then, you know, right kind of at the last moment, the rockets line up and propel it to land exactly on target. This is the spiritual path. We don't we don't stay the path. I don't know any of us that have really, you know, if you really want to try to stay the path, you could take up robes, right? Become a monk. You may stay it a little, maybe a little more tight. But we get distracted. We get called away. We need to stop thinking that for some reason when we wake up to that, that that's a failure. When we realize that we've been suffering, that's a victory. When we realize that we're far gone, that's an opportunity to come back. Just like we do in, where am I? Where's the ground? Can I remember that? So what is the ground? This is the ground. Here's the ground. But the Dharma itself, this practice, this frame, the four truths, the eightfold path, you know, these are practices. They're not commandments. They're a form. They're a map. Right, so we're walking the terrain and we'll get lost. Fortunately, we're looking up, right? We get lost, but then we can look back down and look at the map and say, okay, I'm here, I'm here. Right, and it's better to go walking the terrain with a friend or two anyway. So we have a community, we have a sangha, we don't practice. This is why we don't just meditate at home. We come all the way out here and sit in this freezing cold-ass room together (laughs) to meditate. With 40-something people on a Sunday night. It's kind of crazy, right? But we do it because there's something about the power of I'm not in this alone. You know, I'm not as likely to, when the, my mind tells me, oh, you know, there's that episode of you know, Game of Thrones that you haven't watched yet to kind of <laughs> clock the timer and get up and just go do it. Right? It's like, no, he hasn't rang the bell yet. Everyone else is doing it. I'll just sit through it, I guess. Stay put. We have that support, that form. (laughs) Buddha has a discourse called the ocean, and he says, just as the great ocean gradually shelves 
slopes and inclines, and there is no sudden precipice, so also in this Dharma there's a gradual training, a gradual course, a gradual progression, and there's no sudden penetration to final knowledge. Just as the great ocean has one taste, the taste of salt, so also this Dharma has one taste, the taste of liberation. It's a gradual cultivation, a practice. Whatever seeds we plant, they'll grow with time. Some grow quicker than others. In Zen, they talk about awakening as a sudden awakening and a gradual cultivation. So the opportunity to come back, the opportunity to find this, oh yeah, this, here I am, what's happening here? This ground of the present, of presence. That's, that's available. It's a, the Buddha says it's immediate and visible. The Dharma doesn't have the constraints of time. So that's that awakening is is every moment. That awakening is, you know, it's here. And the more that we practice that, the more we intend for that, the more access. You know, the more we build that muscle, the more we build that inclination, the more we water those seeds, the more we pick that fruit. For us lay practitioners, we're not monks, we're not living in the world, and or we are living in the world, unfortunately, dealing with money and work and jobs and families and all of the things. And so, you know, I practice mindfulness so I can wake up in the world, so that this mindfulness, this practice can show up for me. It can remind me when I'm getting angry, when I'm getting when I'm scared or when I'm insecure or when I'm jealous or afraid or when I'm comparing or self-critical or excited or joyous or, um, you know, however I am, it can remind me to check into that without judging the soft landing right in the middle of our (coughs) dukkha, our stress, the impermanent changing nature of every day, every moments of experience that I can just drop into that and say, oh, how's it, how's it going? That remembering of sati, of mindfulness, remembering the ground that we, uh, we wake up more. From the delusion and the, all the fantasies of the mind, you see them when you meditate, all the stories and the you know, the places of the mind. The mind's so caught up in doing something other than this. You can't blame it, having compassion for the mind. That's its job. It likes to do shit for us. It's great at that, you know, and I need that, and I like that, but at the same time, I'm missing out on what's actually here, what's actually available. Mark Twain says, the worst moments of my life never came true, right? So how many of those fantasies or stories are we living from? So remembering the ground and kind of getting a second to drop out of that and to see that and just to say, oh yeah, you know, I'm here, I'm here. It's 
So we awaken, we awaken. What are we awakening? This is the last thing I'll kind of say. What we're awakening, what is awakening is, is our, it's called chitta. Chitta is sometimes called, uh, defined as our heart or the mind, but it's kind of an interconnection, the heart-mind. really the resonant quality of our very vulnerability. The chitta is the, you know, it's the feelingness. It's the humanity of, of our lives. It's the vulnerability of our lives. It's all the constraints and all the places that the mind puts on that and all the reactive uh, fix, control, manage, change, comfort seeking that the mind tries to kind of go out and find and reach for and cling to and construct you know the chitta can be you know that constrains or it's almost like it builds a house around our humanness our vulnerability and so what we're liberating is we're liberating the heart Our humanity. This is what the Buddha's experience of awakening is described as by him. He says, Through many a birth I wandered in this world, seeking in vain the builder of this house. Unfulfilling it is to be born again and again. O housemaker, now I have seen you, you shall build no more houses for me. Your beams are broken, your ridgepole shattered. My mind, my chitta, my heart is free from all past conditionings and craves the future no longer. He describes the process of awakening as a radical shift in perspective from place to ground. We remember the ground every moment. We wake up to the ground every moment. We get a taste of this very non-magical awakening that's available that the Buddha found. Where did the Buddha find himself? He found himself right here. With a heart that didn't crave or cling to all of the places of the mind and all of the stories of the self and all of the constraints that that comes with but just a real human, emotional, vulnerable, lived experience, felt experience.